0: so much for coming today. Thanks Lisa. So thankful for everything I see God doing in our kids ministry and thankful for Lisa and Amanda and so many gospel partners who partner with them to take great care of our kids and help them come to know who Jesus is. And that's why we're here as a church to pass our faith on to the next generation, to pass our faith on to others, to reproduce the life we have with Jesus into the life of another person. That's what we call disciple making. And our purpose as a church is to make disciples together. Now, one of the characteristics of a disciple is a disciple is learning what this book is all about. And if you're a growing disciple, you're learning more and more that the Bible fits together as one story. And we want to help you with that. So starting next Sunday in our lamp room, just outside the door of the auditorium at nine o'clock, there's a new class offered called the one story or the story. It's going to help equip you to understand the one story of the Bible. So listen, if you're interested in becoming a more effective disciple maker, if you're interested in learning how the Bible fits together as one story, why don't you come to that class? It starts next week at nine o'clock. Now, this morning, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1. Did did you hear any any shaking this week? If you did, it was my knees. They've been knocking all week as I've been reading this passage again and again, because there's no way for me to do justice to it. We're going to read it. And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to try and study it together. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace Through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, who is sufficient for these things to take from this passage and and to make it real, to make Jesus Christ real to the heart? Oh, Father, we need your help. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. So send your Holy Spirit now. And and I pray, I pray that, that every person here would catch a fresh glimpse of the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would leave here rejoicing to now understand and have responded to the invitation to give Jesus Christ first place in all things. Oh, may it be true in in my heart, in the heart of our church, and more and more in the heart of our community, as more and more people come to understand who you are, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. For I pray it through your name. Amen. As I think about life, I was really, really helped early in life by, somebody showed me this little diagram and it described two ways of living. One way of living is the self-directed life. And the other way of living is the Christ-directed life. And if, listen, if I'm honest, I find in my own life many, many, many times that I begin to fall back into the pattern of The self-directed life. You say, well, Dave, how do you tell when you are? Well, one of the ways I can tell that I'm beginning to fall back into a self-directed life is I start to get really anxious. I start to get really nervous. And that's a sign to me that that I'm beginning to, to think way too much about myself and not nearly enough about the greatness and glory of King Jesus. And it's an opportunity to repent and and to run back to Jesus and say, Jesus, oh, have first place in my life. How about you? What are the signs, what's the evidence in your life that that you're beginning to fall back into a pattern of a self-directed life versus a Christ-directed life? You see, you'll notice in the diagram that, that the areas of our lives, when, when we live a self-directed life, the parts of our lives begin to become more jumbled and confused and things get out of order. But when we live a Christ-directed life, he begins to bring all things into alignment. You know, in the early church, there were two men. They, they were kind of a big deal. One man's name was Peter. The other man's name was Paul. And there was a time in the, in the life of Peter and Paul when they got in a fierce disagreement with one another. And the reason was because Paul said to Peter, Peter, you are not living in line with the truth of the gospel. And that's what happens. When we forget about Jesus and, and his greatness and his glory, we, our lives begin to get out of alignment. You ever had a car that was out of alignment? You can tell, right? You're Driving down the road, you let go of the wheel for a second. Here we go. But it's not just that. What happens? Well, pretty soon, not only does your car drift to the right or to the left, pretty soon, what's going to happen? You're going to need to get new tires. Because your tires are going to wear out. When our lives are out of alignment, when, when we're living a self-directed life instead of a Christ-directed life, we begin to wear out. And what the passage we're going to look at this morning invites us to is to live a Christ-directed life. To see that, that there is a throne in every human heart. And that throne was intended to be occupied not by the self, but by Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, let me just invite you to consider this. That, that, listen, every single one of us has a throne in our lives and Jesus Christ is the one person that you can count on, that you can trust to lead you well. Listen, if you're trying to lead your own life, to direct your own life, how's that working out? Are you you willing to consider? Are you willing to consider what this passage says about Jesus Christ? Listen, pay attention this morning. If you're not a Christian, pay attention. Investigate who Jesus is from this passage and and then make a wise decision. Whether trusting him as a living Lord makes sense to you. And if it does, won't you? Listen, if you're here this morning and and you're a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, I want you to know that there is a throne in your life. And Jesus Christ is intending to sit on it and rule it, from it, rule your life from it. Now, when Jesus came into your life, he brought a throne with him. And he set it down and he sat on it. And pretty soon after he came into your life, he started knocking out doors, knocking out walls, and redecorating. And you said, Jesus, what are you doing? And you know what he does? He points back to the throne and he says, you see the throne? I've got to make this place a place fit for a king. So I'm going to work. I'm going to knock out walls, I'm going to redecorate, I'm going to repaint, I'm going to expand, I'm going to build. Because I want this place to be fit for my throne. I want this place to be fit for a place for me to rule. Listen, are you involved in helping other people understand the gospel? Are you a worker this morning? Listen, if you're a worker, make sure that when you share the gospel... You invite people to understand that Jesus Christ is not only a loving Savior, He's also a living Lord. And the disciples that we produce will be produced in direct connection to the gospel we preach. So if we share a gospel that doesn't include both Jesus Christ as loving Savior and living Lord, we're going to produce disciples who are always confused. And I don't want there to be any confusion. Jesus Christ is a loving Savior. He's also our living Lord. And oh, some of you are here this morning and, and you are looking back in your life and you see people that have come to faith in Christ and you've helped them grow. And, and I want that to be the experience for all of you. That all of you, at the end of your life, you would look back and you would see all that Jesus Christ has done in your life, and all that Jesus Christ has done through your life, and at the end of your life, you would change location, but not companion, and when you see Jesus, he would say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, to hear those words. Now, let's jump into this passage The point that we're gonna learn this morning is this, that we can passionately pursue our joy in giving Jesus first place in every area of life. Now I want you to make that yours. I want you, when you leave here this morning, I want you to be able to say, I will passionately pursue my joy in giving Jesus first place in every area of my life. That's what I want for you. Now, one way that helps us is what we learned last week, and that is that we've been bought with a price, that Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished, it's paid in full. Jesus is our Redeemer, that's what we learned last week. He's our loving Savior, and he's done everything necessary to make us beautiful to God and to others. Now, this week, we're going to learn the truth that Jesus is a living Lord. He's King. He's King. And therefore, we want to passionately pursue our joy in giving Jesus Christ first place in our lives. So there's going to be three things our passion, our pursuit, and the place. A passion, a pursuit, and a place. What about the passion? Now, passion is a strange word. Uh, In our culture, when you hear the word passion, what comes to mind? It's probably a strong emotional desire. See, we've allowed the word passion to become synonymous with emotion, strong emotion, fiery emotion, But you know the root word, the root of the word passion is the Latin word passus, and it actually means to suffer or to submit. See, the heart of our passion isn't determined by the strength of our feelings. Our passion is determined by the one that we've submitted to. Now, Jesus is the one person in all the universe who is most worthy of submitting to. The more we get to know who Jesus is, the more willingly, the more gladly we'll be able to submit to his authority, his lordship, the more we'll be able to give him first place. And it's so important. John Stott, at the end of his life, looked back on his life, and he wrote this little book called The Radical Disciple. Because he wanted, at the end of his life, looking back, he wanted to clarify some of the most important things. And this is one of the things he said, if only the blindfold could be taken away from our eyes, if only we could see Jesus in the fullness of who he is and what he has done, why then? Surely we would see how worthy he is of our wholehearted allegiance and faith and love and obedience would be drawn out from us and we would grow into maturity. Nothing is more important for mature Christian discipleship than a fresh, clear, true vision of the authentic Jesus. John Stott understood it. Paul understood it. Let's walk back through this passage. Let's see who Jesus is. This is the authentic Jesus. Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? It means that when you see Jesus, you see God. If you want to understand what God is like, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus as he's revealed in the Gospels. Look to Jesus as the Holy Spirit enables you to see what Jesus is like, his character, his Work on your behalf, what he's like, his love, his truthfulness, his grace, his kindness. But there's something even more important about that verse, or maybe it's not more important, but it's very important. And it's this Do you know that in the beginning, God created everything? And in the midst of his creation, he placed a man and a woman that he created uniquely and you know what he called those that man and woman image bearers you see god created man and woman to image him to show his glory to show what god is like and you know that we fouled that up adam and eve messed that up completely and we lost Not completely, but every part of our image bearing was corrupted by sin, and Jesus Christ comes as a better Adam, a second Adam, someone who could be fully God and fully man and perfectly image what God is like in human flesh. Adam wrecked it all, and we were a part of that wreckage, but Jesus accomplished it all. He perfectly imaged what God is like. He did it for us so that we can confidently say what God would do if he were a man. We can know by looking to Jesus. Now the verse goes on, not only is Jesus the image of the invisible God, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn? Jesus wasn't born. No, he wasn't. See, there's never been a time when the second person in the Trinity didn't exist. But when Paul says that he's the firstborn of all creation, what he means is that Jesus has the first place amongst all of creation. That becomes even more clear when we see what is said of Jesus in the next verse. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Why should I submit to Jesus? Because he made me what is my great sin in failing to submit to Jesus? That I failed to submit to the one who made me for himself. You see, in every single one of us, there is a God-shaped hole, and only Jesus Christ can fill that hole and take the rightful position of Lord in our life. And he alone has that place of privilege in our lives because he's the one who made us and all things for himself. That helps us understand better the bad news. The bad news of the gospel is that we've all rebelled against God in thought and in word and in deed and in things we've left undone. We've all gone against God's pattern, God's plan for his creatures. We haven't worshipped him the way we should. We haven't said thank you the way we should. We haven't given him first place, even though he has the right of ownership over us because he made us. Now, the next verse um, is verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold Together, We're going to come back to this verse next week. Uh, But what I want you to consider is this. Just like in that diagram I showed you at the beginning, when we put Jesus at the center, things hold together. And so as you look at your life and your life is falling apart, maybe that's an indication that Jesus doesn't have first place. Because in him all things hold together. When Jesus is reigning and ruling from the heart, things hold together. Come back next week. We're going to look at that passage even more. Verse 19. For it was, I'm sorry, verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he himself will come to have first place in everything he is head of the body his church anybody ever said this i mean i like jesus i may mean, even love jesus but the church oh the church and i get it i understand it but listen could you imagine A husband who went to his wife and said, Honey, I love you. I'm crazy about you. But your body. Oh, your body. I mean, oh. Listen, that's a fool, right? We would say, you are a fool. But when we do the same thing about the church, listen, are there flaws in the church? Yes. But you know what happens You know what happens to that poor woman? If she's treated that way by her husband over and over and over again, you know what happens? She stops being able to understand what she's actually like. And there's a condition called body dysmorphia where you just actually can't even see whether your body is beautiful or not. Do you know that the body of Christ is beautiful? Because Jesus has made it beautiful? Because he's the head of it? Did you know... That when we get confused about what we're like as a church, we can have body dysmorphia. And do you know what happens? We start to be critical of the church. We start to be critical of one another. We start to be critical of things that happen in the church. And you know what? That breaks Jesus' heart. Because Jesus loves the church. And you know what the solution is? The solution is to lift our eyes up to the head. Because the head is the most beautiful part of the church, Jesus. And the more we all gaze at Jesus, the more beautiful the body will become. But the more we focus on the body and all of its faults and all of its failings, oh, the more confused we'll become. And the more confused the world will become. We're his body. We're precious to him. We're beautiful to him because he is our head. Now, did anything of what we just discovered about Jesus move the needle in your heart? Did anything about what we just learned about Jesus, did you learn anything? Listen, as you investigate who Jesus is, you'll become more and more convinced that he really is worth having first place in your life. And really, that's all of life. All of life is just discovering more and more the greatness and glory and worthiness of Jesus to follow with everything you have. Listen, I've disappointed Jesus so many times, but you know what? He has never, not once, ever disappointed me. When I have really understand, understood who Jesus is, and I've really understood what Jesus has done for me, when I remember Jesus, oh, he has never once, not once, disappointed me. And so it is my joy to submit to him. The more I understand what he's like, the more I understand who he is, the more I understand what he's done for me, the more glad, my, per, the more passionate, I am, the more willing I am to submit to Jesus' lordship. Now, the next thing is our pursuit, our pursuit. Our passion, submitting to Jesus. Our pursuit is our joy. That's good news. Many, many people say, oh, I don't want to submit to Jesus. Listen, if I submit to Jesus, he's going to want to change so many things in your life, in my life. Well, of course he is. Is everything in your life working out? Of course not. Is there anything in your life that you think maybe Jesus, the one who made you, the one who loved you, the one who gave himself for you, he might be wiser than you are and be able to fix things better than you can? I think so. Listen, I want to pursue maximum joy in submitting to my good Savior and Lord Jesus. See, our problem, our problem is not that we desire too little, it's that we don't desire enough. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his little talk, The Weight of Glory, said it this way, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wishes to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's my heart. That's your heart. We have hearts that are far too easily pleased. And Jesus says, Oh, I'm wiser than you are. I made you. I know what makes for your greatest joy. Let me have control. Let me rule and lead and direct your life. And as you do, I'm not going to take anything from you that I won't replace with even greater joys. You say, now, Dave, I I found my own life, in my own life, I've found that I've been getting knocked around a good bit. I've found that I've been beaten up pretty good. And you're right. Me too. But you know what helps me in all of that suffering? Is the knowledge that the best is yet to come. That this life is so, so short in comparison with the infinite joys of knowing Jesus Christ. Not just for this life, but for all eternity future. What enables me to keep looking up to Jesus even in the midst of the sufferings of this life is knowing that the best is yet to come. My best days of health are not behind me, they're before me, they're ahead of me. My best days are not behind me, they're ahead of me. The best days for good news are not behind us, they're ahead of us. Jesus Christ offers us infinite joy. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of COVID and cancer, in the midst of work and life and arguments and strife, in the midst of all of that, Jesus offers us infinite joy because he is infinite joy. Look at verse 19. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. If God the Father, if his greatest pleasure was to see all the fullness of glory dwell in Jesus, then don't you believe that putting your trust in Jesus trusting him as your loving savior and and your living Lord will bring joy, more joy, not less. He's the joy giver because infinite joy is found in him. God said that. I don't want to disagree with God. I want to say, God, your good pleasure was to fill Jesus with glory So my greatest pleasure, my greatest delight, my greatest joy can also be found in giving Jesus first place in everything. So that's our pursuit. Not less joy, more joy. More joy. That's our pursuit. Now what's the place? What's the place? The place is, of course, first place. Verse 18. So that he himself will come to have first place in everything. First place in everything. Now to understand what that means, you need to know this. Jesus Christ is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And he is Lord of all, therefore he invites you to say yes to his invitation to give him first place in everything. He is Lord. Your wisest move is to enthrone him, to give him first place in your life. Now, to do that, we have to understand the bad news about us is that we're always climbing up on the throne. We're always trying to live the self-directed life. The core of sin is self. The heart of sin is directed itself. It's directed inward. It's directed toward us, toward our interest, toward our glory, toward our pursuits. And what God says is, oh, Listen, admit the bad news is not working. Admit that the self-directed life is not working and instead become Christ-directed. The good news is that God sent Jesus to recover and restore what we lost through our sin and give us eternal life by grace through faith in his work on our behalf. See, Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He was directed toward the Father in everything. He showed to the world what it means to be an image of God. And when we look to him as our righteousness, we can have the status of righteousness that we need to feel as if we have a right relationship with God and Jesus Christ, on the cross, paid the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. All of our rebellion, all of our our selfish, us-first living, it had a penalty. The penalty due us, because of our me-firstness, was death. It started with spiritual death, separation from God. But then it led to physical death. And if something doesn't intervene, eternal death, eternal separation from God and everything good. But Jesus says, no, let me reconcile. Let me restore the relationship. Let me bring back together what had become separate. I can do it. And your part is to believe. Your part is to admit That your me firstness is a deep offense to the God who made you to believe that Jesus never lived me first and he demonstrated it most clearly in going to the cross and he did it for you and on the cross he paid the penalty due you. Do you believe that? He didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day, showing that the penalty that had been paid had been received by the Father and your debt could be paid in full. And he invites you to commit to him as your loving Savior. No one ever loved you the way Jesus did and your living Lord. Have you? Have you trusted him as your Savior and your Lord? If you haven't, won't you? Right where you're sitting, won't you say to him, Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. You have first place. Help me become the person you want me to be. You can do that right where you're sitting or come up after the service. I'd be glad to assist you. Oh, but Jesus wants first place. He wants first place in, in all of our lives. So, listen, this week, are you a Christ follower? Let me tell you what that means. It means that you're going to give Jesus first place in everything. You're not going to live the self directed life, you're going to live the Christ directed life. You're going to say, I will passionately pursue my joy in giving Jesus first place in everything now where do we start let me give you let me give you five places to start and you say five I mean it's 959 you got five yes it'll be quick turn to page four and five of your study you'll see that there are five areas of our life where Jesus invites us to be intentional about giving him first place. Identity, community, purpose, money, and hope. They're here in your study. Now let me just give you a few hooks to hang on. Number one, identity. Whose are you? Whose are you? Who do you belong to? Who's Lord? Whose you are determines who you are. It's not the other, other way around. Start with whose. Start with the Lordship of Christ. And let whose you are determine who you are. What about your purpose? Let whose you are determine why you're here. Don't mix it up. Let whose you are determine why you're here. Whose are you? Community? Where do I belong? Let whose you are determine where you go. Whose am I? I'm Jesus's. So where do I belong? I belong in his body, the church. Let whose you are determine where you go. Don't go anywhere other than the place where whose you are fits. Where do you belong? What about your money? Whose you are determines what you give. Not the other way around. Whose. He has everything. Whose you are determines what you give. And maybe most importantly, hope. Whose you are determines where you'll spend eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, we're yours. You're Lord of all. You have first place in everything. You have that from the Father. But do you have us? Holy Spirit, would you come and search our hearts? Is there any place in your life that that you're just holding back from the throne of Jesus? Jesus? that you just assume he not go to work on. Listen, he's wiser than you are. Let him go to work. Holy Spirit, search us and know our hearts. See if there be any anxious way within us. See if there be any harmful way within us, any wicked way within us. And lead us in the everlasting way. Holy Spirit, show us Are we really convinced that the people around us are lost and perishing and and without understanding who Jesus is as a a loving Savior and a living Lord, they'll perish and spend eternity without hope? That we have a word, a gospel of hope that can set them free from death and give them eternal life. Father, help us to see Jesus, are you drawing anyone here or, or maybe watching online? Are you drawing anyone towards you for the first time? And if, if you are that person, won't you trust him as your, living, your loving Savior and living Lord this morning? Won't you admit to him that you've sinned against him in many ways and you're sorry? Won't you believe that Jesus' work on the cross is enough for you and his resurrection from the dead proves it? Won't you trust him? Won't you invite him in as as Savior and Lord? Won't you tell him, Jesus, I'll follow you all the days of my life? Father, may it be true of us this week that we would passionately pursue our joy in giving you first place in everything. I pray in your name.